Well, we are continuing our sermon series today uh, out of the book of 1 Corinthians here, a series that has simply been entitled The Cure, and I appreciate so much Debbie Harden for reading our scriptures for us this morning during our worship. But what we've been learning as we go through this letter that Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth, what we've learned so far is that the church of Corinth had a lot of issues. The reason it had a lot of issues is because there were people that went to church there, (laughs) right? And with that, just automatically are issues that go along with different people and different types of people. There were all kinds of divisions there in the church in Corinth. There were divisions about people who had sincere and honest convictions about things that were going on in the church. Like what style preacher they had. They had a varying opinions on uh, who their favorite pastor was and who uh, the best preacher was. There were divisions in the church uh, culturally because uh, people that came from different types of backgrounds. And so, you know, the people that were raised one way, uh, singing. Uh, songs out of a hardback hymn book, and then you had a newer generation, a newer culture that wanted to sing songs, uh, heaven forbid, with the words on the wall instead of in a hardback book. And so just because of the different ages, different cultures, there were divisions, and, and uh, there were divisions about uh, classes of people uh, in the church. And here's the deal. As long as you get a group of people together, you're going to have diversity because everybody's different, right? We're all different. God created us uniquely in our own way, and so there will always be diversity in the church. There will always be a diversity in age in the church, a diversity of different kinds of backgrounds. Many of us were raised in different ways and different types of families and different types of settings. There will always be diversity when it comes to race in the church, or, or it, there ought to be diversity in a church when it comes to uh, race. And, and, and there's diversity in our preferences. There's diversity in our opinions. Uh, uh, you know, over secondary things that we've been talking about and looking at, like style of music for one, Politics being another, all secondary issues uh, that are part of our culture. And we bring that with us even into the church. But here's the deal. Jesus' vision of the church was not that we would all be alike in every way. That wasn't his plan. That wasn't his purpose. Now, he did call us, and matter of fact, we see him at a point in his life here on earth when he prays for you and me. And you know what his prayer is that he prayed for you and me when he prayed that prayer thousands of years ago? That we would be one, that we would be united, we would have unity as the church, and he called us to a unity in Christ, friends, that will overshadow, outweigh any distinctions that we have 
or divisions that we might have, especially when it comes to secondary things. And for the Corinthians, the one place, the one time that should have been a display of unity as followers of Christ was when they came together at the Lord's table for communion. But even at a special time as communion at the Lord's table, it only highlighted the division within the church. And that's what we're going to see today. And so let's pick it up at verse 17. And yes, I'm going to revisit some of these verses you've already heard, but follow along with me this morning. Verse 17, Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. (laughs) For your meetings do more harm than good. Paul literally is saying here, the way you're acting, the way you're approaching the church, the way you're approaching coming together as a body of believers, the way that you're approaching the Lord's table and a time of communion. Basically, he's saying, you know what? It would be better if y'all just didn't even meet. So you kind of get a sense of (laughs) Paul's tone here when he says that. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Verse 21, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Now, to put this into context, and I always say when you're reading Scripture, you need to dig in and find the context for what's being talked about. And so it's important that we understand that today as well. But at this time in the early church, they did not have church buildings. All right, They didn't have structures of church as we know it today. They typically gathered in homes is how they gathered. And it was usually in the home of a wealthy person because uh, the wealthy people had bigger homes, right? They had more space and more room available Uh, because they could afford it, and so that would typically be a place where church would gather. And so every Sunday, every day of worship that they had, they would come together, and what they were doing is is they they were coming together to share in a meal together, and then to have worship and and have church. They had a full meal, not just a little cracker and some juice, but they enjoyed a full meal. But as part of this meal, they would set aside a brief time in that meal to take the bread and the cup and to have a time of communion or Lord's Supper or Eucharist or whatever you prefer to call it. So what was happening was, there in the church, the reason that Paul sounds so upset about this is because here's what was going on. The rich people, the wealthy people in the church, they knew, okay, there's a set time when we're going to have church and everybody's going to gather and we're going to take communion and we're going to have church. 
But the rich people, they were all kind of buddies. They all had common associations. And so what they had started doing was, okay, let's say church is going to start at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Hey, why don't we get together at 12 and, you know, let's, you know, smoke some meat and smoke some other stuff. And let's, let's have a big old time and, you know, we'll just fellowship together uh, until church starts. And so this is what they had started to do. Now, they weren't smoking other stuff. All right, I, that was a joke. Some of you take me way too serious and leave the church over it. Okay, I get it. Um, they weren't smoking other stuff, and they probably weren't even smoking meat. But they were coming together and having a meal, all right? So, uh, but, but what they were doing is they would get together, and they would have this meal, and they would eat, and they would drink, have a great time, before church, before everybody else would show up. Now, eventually, the less wealthy, the people that weren't really included uh, in that group, they would show up at the time that they were told church was supposed to start, and all these other people would already be there. But by the time these other people got there, well, all the main seats in the big room had already been taken, and so there would be no room there for them to participate. And so what they would have to do is they would either have to sit in another room in the house or they would have to be outside the house watching in uh, through a window or a door. Now, basically, it was like two separate congregations then. They were divided even when they came together. One room was the first-class room for the rich, and then you had space for the poor people. And plus, by the time the poor folks got there and they showed up, all the food was already gone, and the rich people had been drinking wine for hours. So one group is hungry, and the other group, Paul says, is basically drunk. And so now... What this has begun to create is division. It's began to create resentment toward one another. Different classes of people in the church. The rich don't want to be associated with the poor. And the poor feel like second class church members being excluded. And the worst part of this... The worst part of this, and the reason Paul is so upset with what's going on, is that the final part of the meal included a time and a moment to observe the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. And so the rich and the poor were basically observing that supper as literally two different groups, two different congregations. Kind of like we have the 8.30 and the 10.30 service. Well, they had the rich and the poor service. All right? Congregations. They were distinct and distinguished and divided. And Paul is beyond livid here that this kind of behavior is taking place in the church and the body of Christ. And his tone here in verse 22 is more like, I don't even know where to start with you people. Don't you have your own homes to eat in and drink in? 
But you got to bring this junk and this high society living and all these classes and different classes. You're bringing bringing that into the church? You're bringing that into this sacred moment of communion and the Lord's Supper? And so in in addressing this, Paul basically is reminding them, here is the purpose for communion. Here's the purpose, and so he kind of lays out for them and, and for us too the uh, guidelines of communion or, or maybe a better way might to say it, the theology of communion Paul gives us here in this letter because he says, you know what, if you really understood what the Lord's table and communion represented, none of this junk would be going on. None of this stuff would be taking place. It wouldn't be happening. Remember, our our main idea in this series, the main theme behind this series all along is that we've been seeing Paul speak to the fact that the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary and through that empty tomb, if you'll just focus on that, that's the cure that's going to solve a lot of issues in your life. That's the cure that's going to solve a lot of issues that are going on in the church that shouldn't be going on in the church. It's the cure that cuts through the noise. It's the cure that cuts through the chaos that our culture and this world is throwing at us every single day. Paul's saying, if you will just focus on Jesus, if you will just focus on what He has done for us, if you'll just do that for 10 seconds... It'll fix this problem if you'll truly focus on that and on Him. So here he goes. He continues on verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, You should all eat together. So basically, this reminder, these guidelines about communion, what it means. And there are really three main themes to Paul's theology of communion that we should be reminded of. And we ought to remember every time that we come together and every time that we approach the Lord's table. And receive communion. Three things that summarize what is happening in that moment of communion. 
when we receive the bread and we receive the cup. Three things, friends, that if you really believe it, if you really believed them and applied them, would cure so many of our issues, problems, and divisions, not only in our lives, but also in the church and in the world. And the first is this. Communion is a proclamation. It's a proclamation. In verse 26, Paul says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, normally, you might think of me as being the proclaimer when we come together. And I am. I'm the, I'm the one who gets up here and shares the good news, the word of the Lord with those that come. But don't miss this. Paul says that the Lord's Supper, communion itself, is a proclamation. Your proclamation And the bread and the cup are visual aids that Jesus gave us. Visual aids that you're going to be using when you receive the elements that are used to make the proclamation. So what is the proclamation? What are you proclaiming when you receive the elements for communion? Well, the first thing that it proclaims is that we need to be saved. We need to be saved. And as Paul notes, on the night before Jesus died, Jesus held up the bread and he said, This is my body which was broken for you. This is my body which was broken for who? Why? So that you could be forgiven of your sins. And if there was any other way for us to be saved, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. We can't forget the sacrifice that was made for our sins. It was such a great sacrifice. It was so excruciating, so painful, so terrible that Jesus cried out to his Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way for them to be forgiven, Father, do it. And so the bread and the cup proclaim that you need to be saved. Secondly, the bread and the cup proclaim this, that you can be saved. That you can be. Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. Period. Which means if you are a you... Then he's talking to you. (laughs) Huh? Your sins are not too bad. Your past is not too shameful. 
He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Friends, there is a place at his table for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. I'll share with y'all, y'all that know me well, you know I've, I've got some issues. I'm, I'm not right. Um, I, matter of fact, I told Lynette a while ago, I said, I, it's probably not even safe for me to talk to people anymore. Um, so if I just start ignoring all of you, it's because I'm straight up crazy, and there's no telling what I'm going to say or do. And it's getting worse, isn't it, Nick? I mean, it is. It's getting worse. Uh, good grief. I walked up to Maddie a while ago, and I'm like, remind me, I, I'm, I've known Maddie all her life. And I was like, I told, I, I, I'm, I'm losing it. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, I don't know why I tell you all these things either. I could stand up here and act like I'm perfect, and y'all, y'all wouldn't believe it. Um, one of the greatest, one, one, one of the things that caused me the greatest anguish, just so y'all know, um, if I go out to eat with a big group of people, it, it doesn't even have to be a big group. I mean, it can be even a small group, but with a group of people. One of my greatest fears is that when I get to the table, that there's not going to be a chair there for me, that they're all going to be taken. And the reason I have this fear is because it seems to happen to me all the time. I don't know why. I, I don't know, but, but everybody will sit down, and I'll be like walking up, and it's probably because I'm the slowest, um, last one to the table. But uh, so many times I get to the table, and like there wouldn't be a chair, and so then I, there I am trying to you know, not make everybody feel uncomfortable, and so I'm trying to find a chair, and I shove it up to the corner you know, because it's the only place left. And so now I've got a complex about it, and I'm mentally unstable. And, and so... You know, and I was thinking about how awesome it is. How awesome it is if you go to meet a group of people somewhere in a situation like that, and they look at you, you walk in, and they look at you, and they say, hey, come on, I saved you a seat. It just takes it all off, doesn't it? Huh? I got a seat. I don't care about anybody else. I got a seat. This is exactly what's being said here. There's a, there's a place for you. I, I've got a seat reserved for you. Come and join me. There's a place at his table for you, no matter who you are or what you've done. He invites you to join him at the table. And so the bread and the cup proclaims this invitation to join Him and to be saved by Him and what He did for you on the cross. The third thing that it proclaims is that suffering and death are not the end. Suffering and death are not the end. Verse 26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread and the cup represents this is not the end. Death is not the end. Jesus arose and conquered death and he's coming again. He came the first time so that you might be saved. 
He's coming the second time to pick you up and take you home. The gospel, the good news of that, the good news of what Jesus did for you, the cure, says so many things. But think about it. It says to the poor, you're not going to be poor forever. (laughs) You accept my invitation and you come sit at my table, you're going to be an heir to the king of kings. You may be poor now. But you're not going to be poor forever. The good news, the cure says to the sick, you're not going to be sick forever. You may suffer for a little while. And James says that our life is like a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You may suffer for a little while, but the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. (laughs) The healing is coming to the lonely and those maybe who feel abandoned. The bread and the cup proclaims, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I'm coming back to take you home with me. The bread And the cup proclaims that this is not the end. Your situation is not the end. That casket is not the end. And then the fourth thing communion proclaims is that this church, this body of believers, is first and foremost a community of forgiven people. That's who we are. When we all walk through that door, we're all, if we've accepted Christ, forgiven people. If it's true that we all need to be saved, and it's true that all of us can be saved, and we've been invited to the table, and that poverty and sickness and suffering and death are not the end and will all be overcome when he returns, then friends, that creates equality around the Lord's table. Amen? There is no room for religious pride at the table. We're all sinners saved by grace, equal at the foot of the cross. You see, communion actually came from, uh, was first introduced during the Passover meal. And in the Passover, the reason the Jews participated in this was as a reminder to them, the purpose of Passover to the Jews was something that they did in order to remember that they had all been slaves until God saved them. That was the purpose of the Passover. Was to be reminded that they had all been slaves until God delivered them. And you know what? There weren't different classes of slaves. There weren't rich slaves and poor slaves. 
they were all slaves that needed to be freed. We are all equal when it comes to the fact that as sinners, we are living in slaves to sin and we need to be freed. Equal at the foot of the cross, equal at the Lord's table, no division, no social classes. No racial differences. None of those things even exist at the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper, communion, is a sermon. It's a sermon, a proclamation that destroys all that other junk. All the divisions. And so it's a proclamation the second thing i know i got to move on oh i'm already out of time i just had four points in the first point and i got four more points to go so we'll get there second thing about communion is this it's our participation in it our participation at the lord's table we participate in the body of christ Now, that word participate doesn't appear in this chapter, but it is implied in verse 27 when Paul warns us not to participate in these things in an unworthy manner. Because if we do, he says, we're sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. Which means you're taking the bread, you're taking this cup, you're literally touching something that is sacred and holy, the symbols of Jesus' death that he died for you, while your heart is in a posture of rejecting him. The bread and the cup are not just symbolic. They're not just some ritual that illustrates for us what Easter is all about. Paul says that in communion... We're actually participating in Christ. And we are experiencing His death in a very special way. And so the Lord's table is not just proclamation. It's also participating in what He did for you. This is my body that was broken and beaten and crushed for you. Somebody came up to me after early service today and he said, you know, I was raised in the church. I was in the church all my life. Paid my tithes regularly and faithfully. Went to church all the time. And he said, but I was never in a right relationship with Christ. And he said, I know my past, I know my failures, I know my sin. And he said, in participating in communion, he said, I just picture myself standing there alone and him saying, I'm doing this for you. 
I know your past. I know your mistakes. I know your sin. I know your shame. And we stand there, just me and him, watching him suffer, bleed, and die for me. It's not just proclaiming that we need to be saved and that we can be saved, but it's participating in that sacred and holy thing that he did for us in order to be saved. And then Paul raises the stakes a little bit when he gets to the third thing about communion, and it's examination. He says in verse 27, 28, he says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Everyone. Who does that include? Everyone. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In other words, when you participate in communion, when you touch the bread, when you embrace the body that was broken for you, and you embrace the cup, the blood that was shed for you, and you do that in an unworthy manner, you can actually bring God's anger and judgment upon you. Why? Because this bread and this cup are Christ's presence in a very special way. And we are not to take His presence lightly. And so we're commanded to come into His presence with the right attitude before we proclaim Him and before we participate in Him. So what does it mean to participate in communion in an unworthy manner? What, what does He mean by that, in an unworthy manner? Well, I, I don't believe that He is saying here that we can only receive communion if we feel worthy to be able to do that. Um. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would ever feel worthy to be able to participate in it. But instead, Paul is talking about here how you approach the table. How is it that you approach this special and sacred moment and time? Don't approach it with this spirit of self-righteousness. I, I don't care how good you are, how long you've been a Christian, or if you have perfect attendance in going uh, to, to church. If you think you are worthy, then you are approaching the table in an unworthy manner. Also, it means don't approach the Lord's table with a, an attitude or a spirit of defiance. If you approach this table and you're living your life in a way that you know good and well is not pleasing to God, then you're approaching it in an unworthy manner. If you're celebrating the cross with your mouth, but yet you're continually living a lifestyle that put Him on the cross, you can't shout worship Him 
and crucify him all at the same time. That's unworthy of proclaiming and participating in the Lord's Supper. And then he says that you approach the table in an unworthy manner if there is a spirit of division in you. And that's the primary context of this passage. Don't come to the table if in your heart you have separated yourself from others by some form of prejudice or some form of pride or maybe some form of racism or some source of resentment. Don't come when you are divided with your brothers and your sisters over some secondary preference, some secondary thing that's just your opinion, some secondary thing such as politics. Friends, sadly, today in the church, there are people who are more Republican and more Democrat than they are Jesus. Some people are more American than they are Jesus. And if that's the case, that's approaching this table in an unworthy manner. And so Paul says, examine who? Don't you examine me. I I, I got me. I know me. Examine you. He says, examine yourself because you're about to participate in a public, visible display of the unity of the body that Jesus came to create and died for. It's where we come together to declare our unity in the fact that we were all sinners who needed a Savior. This is a display. It's a time where we come together in our common hope that we have that, thank God, there is a Savior that took care of my sins. That our hope is in Him. And that it's more important to us than anything else that might divide us or separate us. This is a time of togetherness where we feel the warmth of a unified family. And so, brothers and sisters, let's approach the table together. This is our unity. Now, we're about to distribute the communion elements, but before we do, I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning because I think we should do what Paul says and examine ourselves. God, we come before you today with this great reminder. And we recognize the fact today that your son Jesus, his death is the only hope that we have to be saved. It's the only way. And that we must surrender our lives to you and be in right relationship with you in order to receive it. 
And God, my prayer is that if there's anybody here today in this sanctuary or if there's anybody uh, watching online that hasn't surrendered their life to you, I pray that they would do it right now. I'm, there's no time <laughs> better than right now to accept you and commit to you and give their life to you today. And God, if they're not willing to do that today, I, I pray that they would realize the danger of participating in the body of the Christ without actually being the body of Christ. God, like my brother that shared with me this morning, I, I know exactly what he's talking about because I've been there. I, I've received this communion in an unworthy manner. And God, I understand the pain. I understand everything that goes along with that. And, and so this is so real to me. And this is so raw. And it is to some others that are here in this room today. And they know exactly what Paul is talking about. And so if there be anyone here that's not sincerely committed to being a follower of Christ and being a part of the body of Christ. I pray that none of us would be hypocritical in taking the bread and the cup today. God, help us not to take the bread and the cup today while we're looking down on somebody else. Looking down on someone else that Jesus died to save just like us. And so today we examine ourselves in this holy and sacred moment. And God, I thank you so much. So, uh, I, I can't thank you enough each and every day for sending your son Jesus to die a death that I deserved for my sins. God, I pray that I would never take that lightly or take it for granted ever again. Thank you for that kind of love It's in your son's name, my Savior's name, that I pray and ask these things today. As we begin distributing these sac sacred elements of communion, I just want to say to those of you that are here, the Church of the Nazarene does not require that you be a member of our church in order to receive communion only that you are a member of his church and that you have believed in and received Christ as your personal savior and if you've done that you're invited to proclaim and participate in these elements and if you'd like for your children to participate if they're in here I know many of them are in children's church, but that's solely up to you today.
These communion cups that we're using today have the bread located in the bottom of the cup. You can just peel off that bottom tab and remove the bread at this time. This morning, this bread represents, and I just, I just want you to look at it today as you hold it there in your hand. This represents Christ's body that was broken for you. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be healed. So that you could experience your presence in your life. It's by his broken body and by his wounds that we are healed and saved. Jesus said this about the bread that you're holding. This is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See Peel back the top layer, it will expose the juice. As you hold that cup today, I invite you again to just look at it and consider what it means for you. Remember the blood that was shed. Pouring from his body. so that your sins could be forgiven. It's in this blood that we have unity. It's through His blood that we have forgiveness. It's because of this blood we have a hope and a future. Jesus said this about the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me no greater love has ever been displayed or shown for you so as the church, as joint heirs with Jesus, as the family of God, may we go out from this place and love others the way that we have been loved. Amen. Dear God, we thank you today so much for this reminder of the amazing love that you have for us the great sacrifice that was made on my behalf. My prayer today is that it has become personal to someone here today. That it's become personal to someone who maybe was just been talking the talk, but 
but they know deep down in their heart that they were approaching you in this time in an unworthy manner. There's no better time than to examine ourselves than right now when Paul says, examine yourselves. I thank you that there are some that have done that here today. I thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. Thank you for this special time. It is such a sacred and holy time that I've been able to spend today with my family. And I love them. I can't love them more than you have. That's what unites us. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. If you'll take your trash, there are some places uh, outside the sanctuary there where you can throw that away.